You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. So this past week in Vacation Bible School, the kids learned about how when life is wild, God is good. Each night covering a different aspect of what life being wild might look like or feel like. The first night was when life is unfair, God is good. When life is scary, God is still good. When life changes, God is good. When life is sad, God is good. And when life is good, God is good. The point of it that we hoped that the kids walked away from, walked away with, that they remember going forward each and every day, that even the leaders that we remember, that life is going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be unpredictable. But God is always good. And all the time, he is good. He does not change. He does not change just because our circumstances change, just because our feelings might change, just because our emotions might change. God does not change, so therefore we can confidently proclaim that God is always good. And we, we know this because of Hebrews 13.8 and James 1.17. Although, if you're like me, life, as it changes, as it can get scary or unfair or painful, we sometimes think that God fluctuates with that. But the truth is, is we're confusing God changing with our emotions and our circumstances. God does not change, although we might The wild parts of life certainly can be painful, certainly can be sad. Chuck Swindoll says this, suffering is a universal language. It's a language that everybody has spoken or will speak. Everybody understands it. But it was not always this way. There was a time at the very beginning of creation There was no death. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no sadness. The first man and woman walked in a perfect, beautiful garden with God, their creator. No feelings of shame or guilt. No sadness or loss had come to their life. They had only one instruction. Don't eat from one tree. Don't eat from that fruit. And as many of you already know this story, you know they did. They were tempted and gave in to that temptation. Just as we would have if we were there. Don't, don't catch yourself thinking I wouldn't have. Because we would have. 
And when they did, it ushered sin into this world. And as sin came into the world, following on its heels was death, was brokenness, was pain, was suffering that accompanied it. And so because of that sin, because of that death, because of that brokenness, there is pain, there is loss, there is suffering. But in all of that, God did not change. God was and is still good. One of the many elements of God's goodness is that he is also gracious and merciful. He gave that first man and woman everything they needed and gave them the opportunity to not, to, to be able to reject him. Thus, they had the opportunity to love him because if you have no option to reject, you really don't have the option to love And since God is good and does not change, that continued on even past the garden, even past when sin had come into the world. And so many times over and over, God would send redeemers, shadows of who was to come. We can read about them in the Old Testament and ultimately Jesus, excuse me, Jesus Christ, his one and only son, sending him to come to earth. See, God sent a solution, not a what, but a who. The only perfect and true solution. See, all the solutions from when Adam and Eve sinned up till Jesus Christ were temporary. And then when Jesus came, it was the final resolute solution. You see, because when sin came, the consequences of it, we've talked about, required a payment in order to get back to what was in the garden, in order for us to have a hope of that in our future. A relationship with Christ, a relationship with God. But our sin keeps us from being there. And one of our illustrations this last week in VBS was our sin caused us to take a step back. And every sin we commit further steps back from God and being in relationship with him. And there's no amount of good choices that we can work our way back and get back there. There's no one right thing that we can do. There's no amount of money we can give. There's no amount of opportunities to serve at the church or to to get back there. It's only a relationship with Jesus Christ. God knew that. So he sent his son to pay that price for us on the cross. Jesus willingly laying his life down to do God's will on our behalf. You see, because every man and woman ever born, even the youngest one in here, we're all born with sin and a sin nature because of that first sin committed. Nobody has to be taught how to sin. If you've had a little one, you know this to be true. (laughs) We have to be taught how to do right and know right and wrong, but (laughs) we will immediately swerve like a car that's out of a line towards sin. 
But with a relationship with Christ, because of what he did on the cross, we, we have that future. We have that future awaiting us where there's no more wild life, there's no more pain, there's no more loss. There's no more suffering, there's no more of the frustration that we can often experience here. That is our hope before us, our future. And God not only provides that through relationship with Jesus Christ, he also then promises to be with us along the way, each and every step. And if you have spoken the language of suffering, like I know many of you have, along with me, you know this to be true. You know that trusting in him, being in his word, other believers walking beside you, praying for you, you know (laughs) what a blessing and comfort that is. You know that he is there and active in pursuing a relationship with us. So he initiated it and continues to. And then we have the opportunity to respond to him. One of the ways that God provides help for us amidst this pain is through lament. The series that we've been in for a few weeks now. Listen to what one writer has to say about the laments in the book of Psalms. The Psalms of lament are treasures for the saints. They give inspired voice to our troubled souls. They model for us how to complain to God in a way that honors Him. And they are themselves expressions of God's merciful care for us. Because in them we see that we are not as alone as we feel and that God indeed does understand. See these psalms of lament. We can learn about how to lament. We see it modeled in scripture. We, we feel the emotions of the writers when we look at them and things like sorrow, anger, fear, Longing, confusion, desolation, repentance, disappointment, depression, psalms. And those are the chapters by the words that we can look up, that we can read and find comfort and solace in when we experience those things. These psalms and other examples in scripture help us travel from the why of our pain to the who is our solution and help. From the why to the who. Let me explain. And I'm not talking about that 60s rock band, the who. Okay? Let's be straight here. The why. When we experience loss, or we are oppressed, put down, or when we endure the consequences of sin, either our own personal sin or the sins that others have committed, and yet we're feeling the effects of those, our first question, our first response is most often what? Why? Why? Why is this happening? Why me? Why, God? Why? I mean, death, oppression, frustration, loss, grief, they hurt. Am I right? 
they hurt. So there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason when things hurt. We want there to be a reason. We want there to be purpose. And we were not originally created to have to go through it. Back in the garden, God created it so that we wouldn't have to. But we do because of sin, because of brokenness, because of the consequence of it. And if, if you haven't been tracking along yet, the source of all things to lament goes back to sin. Goes back to brokenness. Everything to lament over goes back to that and flows out of it forward. Why did my loved one die? I look around the room and I, I see many people who have lost loved ones in the last couple of years. Why did my spouse or friend betray me? Why are my finances always so tight? No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I just can't seem to dig out of this hole. Why am I having to pay for other people's bad choices? The why of our pain and suffering. The answer, because of sin and brokenness. But that answer alone does not satisfy our longings, does it? It doesn't seem to just kind of wrap it up and go, oh, it's just sin and brokenness. Cool, I can go on now. No. <laughs> no, we desire more. It doesn't smooth out the roller coaster of emotions or give us resolution or peace to the why, just knowing that part of that answer. Thus, our journey of lament takes us from the why question to the who. The who being the answer and solution to the sin and the brokenness of this world, Jesus Christ. You see, that's the goal of lament, if you remember. So to review a little bit here, our three main categories to lament over would be grief, loss, oppression, sin. All of them stemming back to the original sin. And that lamenting is that honest cry of our hearts in pain. It's wrestling. Wrestling with that pain. Wrestling with the promises of God. Are you really who you say you are, God? Are you still good? Do you still not change? Even though my life just did a negative 7G drop and then a barrel roll and everything in between. Lamenting is wrestling with that. We get that definition from Mark Vogop's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. But then the purpose and reason that we lament is so that we learn to pray. Birthed from that place of pain, 
recognizing, being honest about the pain that's there, but we're praying through it and out of it so that our faith would increase and our praise would increase in our Lord and Savior, the who. Our goal being a deeper faith, a growing faith, a life that glorifies our Savior who saved us and loved us before we loved him. This is what gives us our hope. This is what gives us our purpose. This is what helps, gives us the answer along the way. A more complete answer. The first element of lament that we explored was prayer. Prayer being what our first response should be, even if we're still asking why. But going to the one who is the answer and the solution, God, why? The second element we covered last week was the complaint part. Simply put, it is an expression of our grief or oppression or sin to God through our prayer. And our complaint is not self-centered and it's not stationary, if you remember. It's not the mumbling, grumbling, woe is me kind of complaint that the VBS kiddos learned about the Israelites this last week. They were wandering in the desert. But our complaints, in order to do so biblically, should be humble. Remembering that God is God, we are not. With faith, as well as keeping it God-centered. And then the fruit of our complaint shows us if we're on the right track with it. What comes afterward? Is it bitterness, rage, rebellion, further disobedience from God? Is that what happens after we pray and say, God, why? And express our pain and hurting to him? Well, we're not on the right track with our complaint, if that's the fruit of it. But if our fruit is forgiveness, for peace, for obedience, it doesn't mean that everything's cool again. It doesn't mean that the pain's gone. but you're going to keep pressing on. These things happened, God. I don't understand. I don't like it. It hurts. But because you're God, I'm going to press on. That's the kind of fruit biblical complaint produces. And so our element this week is where we bring our request. Where we bring our request to God. This is where we ask God to act according to who he is, according to his will on our behalf. The pain, the sadness, the frustration, they've come either in our past, currently happening, our present, or it will come in our future. And by God's grace, we respond to it in prayer. We tell God about a hardship through our complaint, and then we come to the place of saying, God, will you act on our behalf, on my behalf? through this pain, through this suffering. And just as we learned that there are components to complaining correctly to our holy and sovereign God, there are components 
of our request to our merciful and loving Father that we must remember. So as we bring our request before him, one, one component that we must include is asking God to act according to his character. According to who he is. And I'm going to sum up his character with him being good. Because I could preach on this the rest of my life, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and I wouldn't even scratch the surface of his character. And it doesn't mean we won't do a Characters of God series someday, but this will be part of our eternity of getting to explore the depths and wonder of his character and nature. But for sake of time, for this morning, for our series, and I'm not smart enough to cover all of his character by any means, I'm going to simplify it to God being good. In Mark 10, 18, Jesus speaking says, no one is good except God alone. This isn't just me saying God is good. This is him proving it over and over throughout the beginning of time as well as in his words. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to everyone. Has his compassion rests on all he has made. And then within God's goodness, we're going to look at three traits. Three traits this morning within his goodness. The reason why we want God to act on behalf of his character. One trait within his goodness is that he is sovereign. He is sovereign. And because of that, he knows better than we do. He knows eternity past and he knows eternity future. He knows how many more breaths we have left on this body. He knows the purpose and plan and the reason for the pain and the suffering in the world. And while it was not a part of his original design, it is a consequence of sin because he's a just God and praise God he is. If he was not a just God, think about how crazy this world would be. We want there to be consequences. If somebody hurts somebody or steals from us, somebody hurts somebody we know and love, we want there to be ramifications for that. We get that from God. He knows all of it. Sometimes as parents, we see that in our kids. Teenagers, if you're in the room and mom and dad say no, and you don't understand, they have a few more years on you than you do. (laughs) They've probably already made the dumb choices you're about to make. And they're trying to keep you from making the same ones. So it's okay. Okay, mom and dad. And here's the great thing. You obey mom and dad and they're wrong. You're still in the right. Mom and dad are in the wrong. They got to answer before God. No pressure, parents. That's a very small, simple example of it, but God knows all of it. And we can trust in that. He has a plan and a purpose for the pain. Nothing is wasted. He will not waste pain. Pain is too great of a price to waste. 
And God will not, unless we reject him and run from him. And we're saying, God, no thanks. I don't, I don't want purpose for this. And we reject God and run the other way. I don't need a reason for this. I'm going to figure this out on my own. God, have mercy on our pride. Our part in this is to trust him. As it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. For he will direct your paths. We don't have to have it all figured out. That's a big relief to me on a lot of days. I hope it is for you too. God is sovereign. And please, jot down those scripture references there. If for some reason you can't see where you're at or something, email me. My email's in the communicator and I'll get them to you later this week. Another trait of God's goodness is this. He is gracious. While he is just and punishes the sin, he is also gracious beyond anything that we could ever imagine or deserve. Therefore, he does not punish us and our sins according to what they deserve. And we've already talked about that through Jesus Christ. Guys, we could wake up every morning and if we fully understood grace and just settled on that every morning, <laughs> I think our lives would be a lot different than what they are. Just truly understanding the grace of God. Our part in his grace is to just trust him and receive it. That's where it comes into that relationship with him. And you're like, yeah, Matt, I accepted Christ way back. I walked the aisle at church or, you know, I was at my house or wherever you were. But did you think about it this morning when you woke up? God's grace, that you're saved, you're redeemed. That your sin, in order for it to be wiped out and cleansed, took the Son of God to come to earth and die for it. Our sins are costly. And we're blowing along through life making choices about what we watch, what we listen to, what we pull up on our phones and our computers and what we say to others about other people and how we fudge on our taxes or business or other things, how we treat people. And we go, why is me? Life is hard. Why, God? Really? <laughs> I've done it too. Trust me. We deserve more. We deserve more than what temporary suffering and pain we experience on this life than we have. And yet God bails us out. Even from the consequences of our own sin as he did 
his people in the Old Testament time and time again. They were in slavery and oppressed because of their sin. They chose to follow other gods. You're like, well, I'm not worshiping Baal or anything, Matt. Well, how much time you spent on Netflix this last week versus praying and in your Bible? Ouch. And so God warned them and warned them and warned them. And as the kids learned this week, he even gave Pharaoh 10 times, 10 chances to repent, 10 chances to do his will, and did not. Wonder if Pharaoh's last thought as he was drowning in the Red Sea, why me? Well, (laughs) and like I've said before, thankfully, somebody's not writing scripture about our lives, right? Recording all of our boneheaded choices along the way. God is gracious. God is gracious. Nothing is wasted. As it tells us in Romans 8, 28, he says, all things work to the better for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not one tear is forgotten by him. Not one minuscule gram of suffering or pain is wasted. He will use it all. Will we let him? Will we let him give purpose and meaning to it? The last trait of God we're going to explore this morning is love. God is love. Not a love that we might understand because of how our dads treated us, whether it was good or bad. Not a love in what we might understand of how our spouses may or may not treat us. This is a pure and holy love. This is a love that will take all of eternity to explore and will never reach the depths at the bottom of that. What grace, what love, what hope that everything has meaning and purpose. God is good. All the time he is good. And so as we lament and we bring our request before the Lord, we, we pray and we cry out from the pain of our hearts. We cry out to him because he's good. We cry out to him in faith and in humility and keeping it God-centered. Because we can know and believe because we have his word that's never ever been proven wrong. That can be proven a thousand times over and more so than any other book or piece of literature we have. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is gracious. We know that God is love. There's one other component that I'd like for us to remember as we bring a request. We'll go over this one quickly. That we would request God to act according to his will. According to his will. Circle back to him being sovereign, gracious, and love. This is why we want him to act according to his will. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible 
asks for this, asks us to pray for this, tells about him acting according to his will, tells about his people who have and when they reject him, asks them to come back to his will. And you might say, well, Matt, isn't this a little redundant to ask God to act according to his character and according to his will? Because he's way bigger and smarter and stronger than all of us. He's pretty much going to do it anyway, right? Well, there's a point in that. But do you remember our previous talks on prayer? And really what it's about? Prayer is not about us having a quarter that we put in a celestial vending machine to get what we want. He does want us to ask, tell him about our needs, and then trust him to act according to his will. So God, would you act according to your character? Would you act according to your will? And in doing so, Lord, let me trust you as you lay this out for me. Let me trust you as you give me wisdom and guidance. Let me trust you through this pain and suffering. Let me trust you in the good. Because our prayer is an intimate communication with God. It's so that our relationship with him would grow. And it's so that our hearts would line up with his. It's not about bending God's will to our will. Because we have proven over and over and over that that's a bad idea. Look at our track record. God has proven over and over and over it's always best to follow his will. So our prayer is about us lining our hearts up with his. I almost wonder if prayer isn't more listening than us speaking. It'll be interesting to think what we know about God and his nature and a relationship with him someday and then to compare that with what reality is in heaven. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray this way in Matthew 6.10 that God's kingdom would come, that God's will would be done. And Hebrews 13.21, the writer praying for all the saints in his farewell, the letter that we should be equipped with every good thing to do God's will. So Matt, how do I know what God's will is? Seems to be a slippery subject to grab a hold of. Well, I'd like to answer that with two of my own questions. One is, is are you intentionally and regularly reading the scriptures? Are you intentionally and regularly praying? This is God's will. In black and white or whatever color yours is. He's given it to us. I just can't figure out what God's will is. Are you reading the Bible? Do you need to hear God's will out loud? Read it out loud. I'm just saying... We need to be reminded of this, myself included. Sometimes I need somebody to smack me in the head and go, Matt, God's will is right in front of you. You've got six on the shelf. You've got three on your phone. Pick it up and read it. 
That is God's will. So for God to act according to his character and nature and God to act according to his will, we, we have it right here. We can hold it in our hands and we, we live in, in a country where it's not outlawed. And we have copies in excess that are cup holders and paperweights around our house. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, I have one in my office for you. Please grab me afterward and I will give it to you, okay? I would love to give you one if you don't have one. The psalmist in 119 says that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And when we try to live our lives and navigate the pain and the suffering and the loss that comes with it, without God's word, without prayer, we're trying to find our way through a very complex cave system without a flashlight. I mean, that's what we're doing. And then while we're bumping our knees and stubbing our toes and hitting our foreheads and all the things hanging down, and we're muddy and messy and we're lost. Why, God? Why me? Turn your light on. that we would come to a place of trusting him and his will and eventually learning to play like Job, pray like Job did. And we talked about him last time, somebody who's experienced pain and suffering beyond what any single person I know has. But to pray this in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So when we pray for God to act according to his character and his nature and his will, as hard and as painful as that can be, do we really believe and trust in that? Can we really pray in this way? There's a lot of days I can't but I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey towards it. And one thing I do know for sure, without a doubt, when we get to heaven, when we get on the other side of this, I'll be able to scream it with the top of my lungs and believe it with every single cell of my being, however we're composed and made up of then. And we will for sure know without a doubt that it was worth it to be in his presence forevermore and to be with those once again who have gone before us. Each element of lament is interwoven with each other, connected to each other. There's not a formula for this there's not a specific set sometimes you might start with praise and go back to the why and come back to the complaint and all of it in between I think the point of it is is that we do it the point of us of it is is that the the psalmist and others and even Jesus 
modeled and practiced lament. Because if not, we can get stuck. We can get stuck and bogged down in the pain and the suffering and the loss. But that we would do so and work towards humility, towards faith, staying God-centered. So that our faith would increase, that we could praise him more. So in two weeks, we will cover praise, our last element of lament. And then, Lord willing, on August 25th, we'll have a service where we'll have extended time of worship and song and opportunities for you, should you feel led to, to share your lament. So be praying about that. Be praying about what your lament should be. The lament should be pointing towards God and about God. not our chance to have the microphone. Homework, again, to do. Keep praying, keep studying. Scriptures, these next two weeks will be Psalm 136 and 145. Praise Him. Praise Him through the pain. Praise Him through the suffering. It will keep us on a journey further and further away from the why and closer and closer towards who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you pray with me? Father God, we come before you humbly. God, you're a sovereign. You, your servant Moses couldn't even look on your full glory when he asked without it literally killing him. And while through the cross and relationship with Christ, we have intimacy to cry out, Abba, Father, to call you Daddy. Yet should remain in awestruck wonder and holy fear. of your sovereignty, of your grace, of your love. God, anybody here this morning that is going through pain, suffering, loss, God, I pray that these psalms of lament would help to bring comfort and peace and the reminder that you are the solution. You are their help in time of need. You are their shelter. You're their rock. You are their redeemer. God, let us also have clarity with eyes wide open to be sensitive to those around us, others who are going through hard times as well, that you love them, that you care for them, and what our part in encouraging them would be, what our part in praying for them would be, in showing them your love. And Jesus, because of you and because of your life and your work on the cross, 
as we leave here this morning, we just pray that we would go out. We'll go out that this would stay with us. God, that this would not be our only time that we spend with you this week, God. If you've got to drop a Bible on our head to remind us, Lord, I pray you would. <laughs> to get in your word, to spend time in prayer with you. We would not be so foolish to think that we can grope around the cave of life without your light. So let us go as sent. Let us go as the lights that we can be because of you inside us, to our communities, to our homes. In your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen.